0: some new stuff, sorry. Yeah! That is your infected mushroom. Welcome to the show. It's a Thursday night. And I'm so happy to have you here on the 13th day of April 2023. This is quite frankly, it's the beginning of the pre-show. We're going to get a little bit of some extras out of the way spend a little bit of time, give some people some time to find their usual seats or maybe carve out a new one. I hope that you had a good day. It's been a nice one over here. We're gonna be talking about storms tonight. I've always wanted to have a storm chaser on, and we have one. We have one in the form of Hunter Falks. And uh, I've been following him for uh, uh, quite a bit on Twitter love his work love his photography and everything but he's been doing this since 2009 uh he is a meteorology uh student at isu and uh, this is a pa- so we're going to be talking to somebody who's got a passion for this and who is going in on uh going in on the, the science end of things as well i love that 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 two sides of it and there's so much there's so many places we're going to go a lot of this stems from an age-old interest that we've had over here. The, from, <laughs> from Twister, 1996. Well, everybody goes. Uh, everybody who doesn't live in Tornado Alley went to the movie theaters and uh, and got a uh, a fun yet ridiculous adventure thrown at us, and uh, it's it's going to be the. It's always going to be the seed of a lot of people's interest in this stuff, and now that we are in the age of mobile streaming devices, it has become a thrill-seeking expedition, as much as it is a bucket list kind of thing that they want to check off, see see some kind of a crazy weather event like a tornado in person, or a scientific endeavor that maybe encapsulates all things. You have to have a passion for things to do it well. So tonight, we're going to talk about the dangers. We're going to talk about the do's, the don'ts, uh, the evolution of the whole thing, and Hunter's story in particular. I hope you enjoy it because it's a Thursday night and whatever, what, the hell, what the hell else are we gonna do? What the hell else are we gonna do? We're gonna have some fun. That is what the doctor ordered. Okay, so let's see, jumping into this, I wanna welcome you all, whether you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, Quite Frankly TV. Uh, just to let you know, tonight is Throwback Thursday. I think that they are playing an old April, April twenty twenty episode of Quite Frankly when my parents came on for my birthday show. Which I, I'm pretty sure that that is the night that we announced that Aurora we were, you know, Aurora was on the way and that Lauren was pregnant. So that'll be fun. But the throwback feature presentation afterwards is, you guessed it, Twister. So if you're you're watching on quite frankly.tv, just make sure you don't go anywhere because you're going to be served up a lot of great stuff after the fact on the network, the after hours programming. So hello to all of you out there on QFTV and YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, DLive, Theta, Rockfin, and beyond. Not to mention our early morning warriors who are tuned in at WHYU FM 89.1. And um, that w- there's no Odyssey tonight because we've been getting a little bit of rumble uh, buffering and I wanted to make sure that we did not stress the broadband at all, the bandwidth at all. So tomorrow we're going to test some new offsite syndication methods that we have been building up. And uh, and that, that will help us go nightly live on places like R- uh, Odyssey and hopefully we can get a few other things Back into uh, maybe we can do telegram again maybe we can do cloud hub maybe we can even add getter if I can find a way to make inroads with the live streaming on getter but um, but yeah all right thank you all so much for the time here tonight let's jump into our grab bag shall we let's jump into our grab bag first one up a little bit on the AI front take a listen to this this tweet put out by Itamar Golan on Twitter said the following, ChatGPT is so last month. Stanford and Google researchers just dropped some mind-blowing new research on generative agents, and it's like they brought Westworld to life. Here's what you should know. Using a simulation video game they created, researchers made 25 characters that could communicate with others in their environments, memorize and recall what they did and observed, reflect on those observations, form plans for each day, so they, they create their own daily itineraries. Then they gave them some memories and identity and name occupation priorities, information about relationships with other characters, some intention about how to spend how to spend the day, and then they press play. With justice information alone, the characters added acted much like humans do. They shared information with each other. Example, Isabella starts the day with a plan to host a Valentine's Day party. She spreads the word, and by the end of the simulation, 12 characters know about the party. Yeah, how many showed up? Because if two showed up out of 12, then it really is human. Much like humans, seven of them flaked. Oh! <laughs> Oh, shit. We're screwed. Three of them had other plans, and four just didn't show up. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Isn't it typical? They form new relationships and remember them. Example, Sam and Latoya... Don't know each other at the start. They meet at a park, and Latoya says she's working on a photography project. When Sam and Latoya meet again, Sam says, hi, Latoya. How's your project going? They coordinate with each other. From there, okay? So example, researchers gave Isabella, the Valentine's Day party host, and Maria two pieces of info. Isabella, you will host a party, and Maria, you have a crush on Klaus. Without any further instruction, Isabella invites people to the party, decorates the venue and asks Maria for help. Meanwhile, Maria jumps at the opportunity to get closer to Klaus by inviting him along as well. This is a fascinating new research. We've officially moved past AI models can write blog posts for me and into how much can AI models act like humans territory? We're moving fast. Fast and scary. No doubt about it. Especially all the AI generated stuff. Because you know what the, everybody's going to be generating, right? Porn. That's going to be 97% of it. But listen to this AI chatbots could easily be programmed. This is from the Daily Mail. Easily be programmed to groom young men into launching terror attacks, warns top lawyer. Well, if that's the case, then what the hell are the FBI going to be doing? They're going to have to retool the entire FBI. It's most that's mostly what they do anyway chat gpt could easily be programmed to share terrorist ideologies to extremists if ai is used to instigate one it may be difficult to prosecute anybody are you sure so that makes it uh that's just incredible uh, you know and this is coming on the, the heels of them finding the leaker now what do i say about the 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 Pentagon leaker about Ukraine what we saw how yes, we do have boots on the ground out there We do have special forces out there that 14 or 50 people is nothing Compared to what it is. It's, that's probably a uh, part of a Encrypted message so you need a cipher to know that 14 or 50 really means 5,000 or something like that because again Who is uh, who's operating all these tanks that you need specialized training for? Who's operating all these tanks unless the remote control and that's still us just offshore so they found the leaker which means he wasn't a fed to me at least uh as far as the information that he was uh that he had and and how it got uh, passed along Then that's just that's just something else. I don't know if this was set up because again This may be a this may be an out if you didn't want to press on this anymore You wanted to get out of Ukraine without uh, I don't know. I don't know what people are saying that this kid might have uh, prevented World War 3 By leaking that yes, we are out there boots are on the ground which is not a stretch of the imagination. We have money and we have missiles and we have satellites and everything else out there, tanks. Why not boots? Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira, 21 years old, arrested on US intel leaks. We also got to see that not only is the the United States Really the you know the, the ones who are orchestrating this entire thing and that it is uh, it is in fact the worst proxy war The most embarrassingly obvious proxy war ever in our history not only is the u.s. Fighting Russia through this uh, this now Emaciated puppet puppet state of Ukraine Where they have they have already had hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians slaughtered and volunteers volunteers slaughtered and brutalized um, that, that's another thing that we got a glimpse into. I'm not sure that any of those numbers were totally accurate, though. Definitely overcount Russian dead. They definitely undercount Ukrainian dead. But it's a game geek leak because this happened on Discord. A lot of people are wondering whether or not this bolsters the 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 screams for the restrict act to come into play. You know, they're talking about TikTok at first, but now you got Discord. I mean, what do you, it's just, I mean, Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira was arrested at his mother's house Thursday after being implicated in the disclosure of dozens of sensitive U.S. intelligence documents to an online community devoted to video games and guns, the biggest national security breach in at least 10 years. Law enforcement officers swarmed the home in North Dighton, Mass., about 20 miles east of Providence, Rhode Island, hours after multiple reports sketched out Teixeira's key role in a Discord channel called Thug Shaker Central, where the files first popped up earlier this year. Uh, News helicopter footage showed Teixeira clad in red basketball shorts shorts and gray t-shirt surrendering to camo-clad FBI agents. He was scheduled to make an initial appearance in Boston Federal Court on Friday, where Attorney General Merrick Garland said the airman would face charges connected to alleged unauthorized removal, retention, and transmission of classified national defense information, which, of course, does not apply to anybody else who does it. This just happened to prevent... Maybe, maybe, hopefully, it it, it stops the slaughter right where it is. But uh, they've got a much larger... A much larger plan in place and you know who knows we'll get into more of this tomorrow I want to see what you guys and gals think about this we'll get into more of this tomorrow don't have time for it tonight I do not want to muddy the waters for what we have planned here's the last one that I'm going to leave you with this is from Australia I thought this was hilarious headline drama erupts as a chess player's real identity is exposed. It's a game that keeps on giving. In a bizarre turn of events at the Kenya Open Chess Championship in Nairobi, as well, it's, it's covered by um, news.com.au. So this is in Nairobi. A sneaky man dressed as a woman managed to cheat his way through to the female section of the tournament. The cunning imposter, who kept his true identity a secret by wearing a niqab, And never speaking to anyone registered under the name uh, Millicent Awar Fooling even the tournament staff However, his cover was blown when he beat former national champion Gloria Jumba And Ugandan top player Baria Shakira Arousing suspicion from other players and the arbiters the tournament staff initially hesitant to intervene finally decided to investigate after the fourth round according to chess.com in a private room the man was asked for identification and he eventually came clean admitting that he was a university student who needed the cash wow despite having an international rating close to 1500 and a blitz rating close to 1750. The imposter player has been kicked out of the tournament and all of his points have been awarded to his opponents. The Kenya Open Chess Championship, which boasts an impressive prize fund of about $42,000, has attracted almost 450 players from 22 federations. The tournament runs from April 6th to the 10th, 2023, and uh, that was in Nairobi. The bizarre scene followed another major. Ch- oh, you remember this? Uh, the bizarre scene followed another major chess scandal, which took the world by storm in late 2022, which included wild allegations of using technology, including vibrating anal beads, to signal winning moves after a teenage newcomer beat a world champion at a high-stakes tournament. Hans Niemann, 19 years old, of San Francisco, California, caused a major upset when he defeated Norwegian Grandmaster Magnus Carlsen, 31 years old, at the Cinquefield Cup in St. Louis, Missouri on September 4th, according to Vice News. In the wake of the stunning result, the chess world exploded into such an uproar that Neiman faced allegations of cheating, was banned from Chess.com, and even billionaire Elon Musk weighed in on the tweet, mocking the online rumors that a rectally inserted device was used in the possible scam. Oh, the chess world, man. The chess world. This is their 1919. This is their 1919. What are we going to do? Now, that's just hilarious. Now, it's one thing to say, okay, well, a guy, you know, put on some pigtails and said he identifies as a girl, then goes and breaks every weightlifting championship out there. But what is it about this guy just going, blowing everybody over in a game of strategy and wits? What does that mean? Because now we're going beyond the physical. Maybe that's something else we can talk about in another, in another show. No, I'm not saying anything. Not saying anything offensive. I just want to know how it is. Maybe he's just that talented. He could just be that talented. Prodigy. And I'm sure there's a girl out there that could beat him in chess. She's out there. There's always a bigger fish. All right. Well, that's that. It's 7:12. Let's get this one kicked off. I want to set the stage properly for our guest tonight. So please help me syndicate this broadcast tonight. I put the li- live links across all of the, quite frankly, socials from Twitter, to Gab, to Truth, to uh, Telegram and beyond. Give it a like, give it a share. I'm, a, I'm gonna leave this live on YouTube for the rest of the evening because I don't think anything is gonna be too offensive. And uh, thank you so much. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere.
1: What an ass. Hello.
0: I said I know we're gonna be talking about some of the most severe weather that one can find themselves uh, staring in the face but today we did not have that we had an 84 degree blue sky beauty with a nice nice breeze as the day went on it became more of like a hair hair dryer breeze not as cool as anything but it doesn't matter. It's April. It's uh, if this is any indication of how the summer is going to be, it's going to be a scorcher. But I'm fine with that. You only have a couple of months to get a tan, you know. Yeah. All right. So enough. Enough. What do we have? Now this is something that I I know that some of you have seen today and if you're in the Florida if you're in Florida, the Fort Lauderdale area, then since we're talking about crazy weather They are saying that the flooding the flash flooding going on in Fort Lauderdale right now is a once in every 1000 years occurrence That's right once in every 1000 years occurrence. This is from the very reliable people at CNN no! <laughs> uh, I Haven't done that in a while just wanted to make sure you were on your toes. Haven't done that in a while. So let's go back to, there you go. Fort Lauderdale Airport to remain closed until Friday morning after the rainiest day in the city's history causes severe flooding. They experienced the rainiest day in its history on Wednesday. A one in 1,000 year rainfall event sparking a flash flood emergency in Broward County that has prompted emergency rescues, forced drivers to abandon cars, shuttered schools, and shut down the airport through 5 a.m. Friday, and more rain is on the way. The region recorded widespread rainfall totals of more than one foot, while Fort Lauderdale tallied 25.91 inches in a 24 hour period, according to preliminary reports from the National Weather Service office in Miami. Two weak tornadoes also hit Broward County Wednesday. One just weak, uh, one one just west of Hollywood, and another south of Fort Lauderdale Airport, according to the Miami National Weather Service. Both were short-lived and rated as EF zero. Uh, I'm sure we we're going to learn. Maybe we do le- learn a little bit about that Fujita scale. I think that's what it's called, F one through five. The weakest category, F zero. Now that's in Florida. Now I know a lot of you out a lot of you out there too have been right in the middle of some crazy tornado activity lately, especially those last days of March, this past March. Um, I had a few people in the audience get in touch with me and give me updates on things like that. It's popping up all over the place, from you know uh, farther up the Midwest down to places like Mississippi. I mean, that's where we saw that that weatherman down in Mississippi who was praying praying for people in this thing's path on air because it was just so massive i think that one had a, a base of over a mile or something like that anyway all this stuff is is very uh is very interesting to me scary of course interesting but scary as well thunderstorms are beginning to develop across a southeastern florida and will once again bring a risk of flash flooding to the region and um there you have it now tonight I wanted to bring on a guy who's been doing this for a long time weather is his thing specifically storm chasing and I have so many questions about this I want to introduce you to Hunter Folks and uh, Folks and here is the uh, a little bit of his of his bio So he's a seasoned storm chaser this is from the realworldphotography.net the I have it in the description of this episode Grew up in the deserts of Arizona, the rolling Midwest plains, to the highest 14,000-foot peaks of Colorado. I love Mother Nature's temper tantrums and how the world has been molded and shaped into what we can behold today. Now, what does he do? We're going to be talking a little bit about his story here. He says he's been chasing storms since 2009, witnessing his first twister destroy a pig farm in rural Dyke, Iowa. Ever since that first tornado, I've been hooked on chasing down tornadoes for the rest of my life. I chased for many years without a camera in hand. Eventually, the desire to grew within me in 2013 to get a camera. After convincing my parents to finally purchase one, I finally was able to hold a DSLR for the first time. But it wasn't until 2018 that I would own my very first Canon DSLR. From that point... Hunter wanted to use photography to document his storm chasing. Capturing storms is his way of recording his history. Each chase is either a triumph or a crushing defeat. Now, we're going to be talking about triumphs and crushing defeat, especially since you're, you're, you're jumping into territory that is really life and death. It truly is life and death at this point. So um, along the way, too, we're going to show some of his wonderful work and just uh, get to know him a little bit more. Hey, Hunter, are you there right now? Hunter, you hear me? He popped in about a minute early, said might as well just bring him in. What's going on, man?
3: Howdy, how are you?
0: It's so great to have you on. Thank you for making some time for us
3: tonight. Absolutely, I uh, I actually just hopped on uh, the uh, through Twitter on the link to watch the YouTube stream I was like "Ah, I should probably tune in now. This is perfect
0: Yeah, why not? You know I and, and, <laughs> and I was just started dipping into your bio a little bit and I just want to let's just start here I'm, I'm gonna read a little bit. I know you know all about it But I want to read this after moving around the country a lot in your youth you got experience the experience what this really means for ten years of your life never saw winter For 10 years, you stared at the sun for 300 days a year. But once that first cloud on the monsoon rolled in in the deserts of Arizona, that was the first dark cloud. That was the first dark cloud begins to envelop the sky, and the first 110-degree raindrop hits your skin. And the crack and boom of the first bolt of lightning hits. I knew I hadn't suffered in vain. This passion for weather began as early as I can remember. When I read that, I said, boy, this guy loves this stuff. (laughs) He loves this stuff
3: i do i do
0: it's incredible man so let me ask you this arizona colorado iowa is there something distinct about the sky in each of these regions of the country that would make it easy for you to pick them out of a lineup
3: uh well i mean first argument is that technically it's the same sky so hey you know uh it's the skyline that makes it different right Um, But there are specific aspects of every place that I've lived that I've come to appreciate. Um, The things that make it special, make it different from every single region. Uh, You cannot say that Arizona is the same as Colorado. Colorado is nowhere close to what Iowa is or Arizona. And mix and match, right? Every place is different. Everything has its charm.
0: Yes. I, well, I, I have to imagine that. And well, what is the most charming thing about Iowa right now? Because that's where you had your first encounter with tornadoes.
3: Absolutely. I. Uh, uh, it was the first time I ever saw a tornado was, was in the state of Iowa when I lived with my family um, over by Cedar Falls, Waterloo, if anyone is familiar with that location. It's in northeast Iowa. Um, yeah, seeing my first tornado there was... I, I, I do want to say that I was probably already a geek and a nerd about weather before that even happened, but that really just sealed the deal.
0: I Let me talk to you about that though, because this is the pig farm tornado incident, correct? Correct, yes. So how old were you at the time and what drew you to the location of the storm? Um, were you listening to radio? Was it by chance? Uh, I, I just want to know how you how old you were and how you found yourself right in that spot to observe this.
3: Absolutely. I so this was in this was June 21st 2009 I was oh boy uh young I mean I was still fairly young right but uh I was probably 12. wow maybe 13 years old if I can remember correctly at the time and uh I honestly seeing that tornado was unbelievably pure luck uh I cannot say I had any skill in the matter. Uh, I just had a uh, I had supporting parents that knew I was really love love I just fell in love with weather. I grew up watching, uh, you know, our obvious tornado movies, Twister, The Day After Tomorrow, um, and I also grew up watching the Weather Channel, right, and also uh, Storm Chasers, which was on Discovery, which everybody has seen this show. Yeah, um, and so I always thought like it would be so cool to go storm chasing and when my family moved out to Iowa, uh, about a month after we had moved there, uh, there came an opportunity where there were tornado warnings or tornado warned storms nearby. And I just remember being so excited about it. I run outside to look at the cloud cause it was only 20 or so miles away. So close enough where I'd be able to see the relative updraft of the storm, but not anywhere close enough to actually make out anything. Hmm. But that was still super cool to me. So I'd run back inside, turn on the local news station and, and listen to the local meteorologist talk about the warnings, run back outside to go look at the cloud, run back inside. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. And my dad, he just looked at me after me doing this back and forth in and out of the house and was like, do you want to go storm chasing? And I was like, yes. So we all hopped in the car, my whole family, which would be consisting of my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister. And we just took off at the storm. Wow. And at the time, we didn't have any of these fancy gadgets that we have now. We don't. We didn't have, you know, uh, even in 2009, like, smartphones were still kind of rolling out, and my dad, like, rocked the BlackBerry, you know? Like, we, we had nothing. We had a paper map book, and we had the radio in our car, which was tuned into the local news station telling us what counties had tornado warnings. And my dad, he didn't necessarily have storm chasing experience, but he had seen a tornado before, so he kind of knew something to look for. Um, And he had a little bit of weather knowledge himself. Not great, but well above what I had at the time. Mm. And we just drove out a storm. And we sat outside of a town called Dyke, Iowa. It was probably about 15 miles or so southwest of where I lived. And we just sat there and just watched small updrafts, bigger storms come blow by and just was enjoying having fun sitting out there and watched uh, the storm eventually roll up to the area. Well, like, I, can see luck.
0: I can see how the, 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 this would be such a formative thing. Well, you know, at, at that age, when I was 12, uh, 12 11 years old, that was around... 1996 1997 so you are about you're about 10 years younger than me or so whatever whatever it is and in my brother's 2 years younger than me and around the mid 90s is when twister came out so mm-hmm. whereas this inspired great Great uh, excitement in you. It made my—I know it made my brother paranoid every time that we're in New York. So we we really don't have any real danger for tornadoes up here. But when the clouds rolled in, he's outside looking for green skies, and you know know, all the things that we saw in the movie is now something that's coming after us because they personified the storm. But I'd love to know a little bit more about that's you at 12. I would love to know a little bit more about the metamorphosis now of your passion because you know here I am trying to empathize through being, you know, I'm a drummer. I can mm-hmm. empathize through going to my first rock concert and it was that's a storm of sound. And some people are fine with just going out to seeing a great show, but others know I want to be a part of show business. I want this this is a craft I want to be more intimately involved in. So in your case, there's a lot of people who would Definitely be interested in safely observing a tornado and checking it off of their bucket list, but then going home What did your curiosity turn to and and what did you now? What do you now set out to achieve?
3: That's a great question. It has evolved a lot I while I grew up this geeky kid always thinking the sky was cool and lightning was awesome And I wanted to be next to storms, right? It evolved through that first tornado experience watching it uh, f- my first tornado occur and watching it rip the roof off of a pig barn, that same story, just right after that, watch the tornado occur. And just watching that experience, watching how the atmosphere behaved, watch the kind of miracle that that was, watch it do damage, and then have it zoom off into the cornfield and then dissipate, it gave me two things. One, this is freaking cool. Secondly, this affects people's lives. Oh, yeah. And from my first tornado i got to see both sides of that and that is an important thing that even a lot of us storm chasers kind of lose track of is that the fact of while this stuff is really cool people's lives are being ruined every time a tornado occurs right a tornado is the definition of destruction it, that's its only purpose it's what it does it doesn't build it doesn't create it just its sole purpose is to destroy whatever it runs into so the important thing is to remember that over these years that i've learned especially through years like 2011 where we had lots of big tornado outbreaks that really affected me personally because while i was growing up through my teenage years and learning uh about what i wanted to be who i wanted to become um obviously i was super involved with learning about weather and tornadoes which made me kind of a dork but hey we love it and uh but what really hurt me was watching something I loved so much not only just take out pe- uh, people's homes their communities but watch tornadoes claim people's lives that hurt me to a point where I it got to a point where I was so hurt and depressed f- because I was so in love with weather and it was like something I would always wanted to do with storm chase and be involved in meteorology and spend my entire life focused on understanding tornadoes but there's that dark side that always comes back and haunts you especially if you're not prepared for it and so for me now where I am currently and how I've evolved through time my my goals have always been to capture a storm to witness a storm watch what it does to experience what it what occurs but then the next part of it is why I'm in school why I'm currently a college student I'm I've got a year left of my undergraduate degree in meteorology. I want to be a meteorologist because not only do I want to spend my entire life chasing storms, but I want to understand them. I want to help people. I want to get to a place where we can finally truly predict tornadoes because Mm. to me, there's not a reason someone should lose their life to a tornado. They are predictable. Even in crazy cases, tornadoes can be very predictable and loss of life in my opinion is just absolutely no way. And that's what I want to focus on. That's what drives me to this day, is capturing Mother Nature and her beauty and when she is throwing a tantrum. But I also want to put in research time. I want to figure out and help move the understanding of tornadoes, severe weather, to just helping people protect themselves, right? Everybody has an amazing life. It's a shame to throw it away because of a poor decision or a misinformed decision, right? I, and that's that's what my personal mission is as I've gotten older and progressed through my degree and my experiences.
0: I I'm I'm so happy you got there even before I can ask because I was going to bring that very same thing up. I because I was thinking about that when I'm reading the the short the short telling that you put on your website about the pig farm getting destroyed. I said this must something that I can see being both so awe inspiring and constantly sobering. And I'm I'm sure that doesn't change the more you do it because here you are observing this breathtaking natural phenomenon, but at the same time you 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 the observer must be conscious that this is also an incredibly ferocious and destructive and many times deadly event. And uh yeah, no, I, I'm 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 so so pleased you got there before I could. Now um I also go uh go to wondering what other weather events could you effectively observe without being in the middle of it? You're know, like I, I would have to imagine the safest way to, to watch a hurricane is just to watch the radar and stay the hell away from it. But what, what other storms can be chased? Or are we just primarily talking about tornadoes when we talk about storm chasing?
3: Uh, there is a lot. Um, the obvious thing that we all think about when we hear storm chasing is obviously going after tornadoes, right? Um, but there are lots of other things. Hurricanes are a great example. I have chased hurricanes. You're absolutely right. The really? safest place to be is nowhere near them, but that's not stopping people like me.
0: <laughs> so, okay, wait, 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 let's start. I, I want to hear all the other things, but let's start with hurricanes. When you're in the middle of a hurricane, what are you observing? I mean, you, you have a, from with a, a tornado, you can observe it from, you know, five miles out. You can see the whole thing. It's in your frame of vision. But I mean, I, it doesn't take a very trained eye to say, wow, this is windy as hell right now over You're, here in a hurricane.
3: You are right. <laughs> no, and I'm going to be honest. I, For most of my life, I always thought hurricane chasing or hurricanes in general were kind of eh, my interest was mostly towards supercells and tornadoes, um, but as I got older, it became more fascinating because hurricanes, especially the higher end hurricanes, someone told me, and this is a great quote and I wish I could s- source them correctly, but they, they quoted as hurricanes, especially category fours, category fives, are perfect convection machines. They thrive off of warm ocean waters, and they spare none. They have zero mercy, right? And the thrill for storm chasers is there's there is a um, an adrenaline junkie aspect. There absolutely is, right? To be crazy, you kind of have to enjoy it a little bit. And throwing yourself into hurricanes is dangerous. Absolutely. I I've only been able to chase personally one hurricane. Um, but I have had many of my friends that have had the opportunity to go into multiple hurricanes, category five hurricanes, what have you, and they're able to document pretty incredible things that occur inside of hurricanes. And for me, uh, my aspect going into it was one, obviously the adrenaline high. Who doesn't want to stand in a hundred mile an hour wind because it's fun? Like, there's just that aspect, right? Go, but storm chasing for tornadoes and storm chasing for hurricanes is a vastly different beast there's a lot more preparation that goes into it and the important thing especially for those that partake in that is to remember that you are going into a disaster location do not become part of the disaster right and if you can help those who are not able to evacuate right Um, some people are there to document the storm they record video capture pictures of destruction what have you which depending on your point of view and if you've been personally affected by hurricanes, that can be a positive or negative thing. Um, Some people go, like myself, to experience the meteorology behind it, to experience that kind of extreme weather event. Something I never thought I would ever experience being in a hurricane was notice storm structure and notice how the atmosphere behaved inside of a hurricane where there was one point where I was able to visually tell the difference between horizontal rotating wind that traverses around a hurricane and downdrafts that would come through splits in the sky and watch these big bursts of wind come out of the sky above me. And those came with force. And it was just so fascinating to me because and that's what, like, hurricanes are really the perfect blend of everything going wrong correctly. Oh. And it's just so fascinating to that's be a, there, to that's experience it. That's a great way of it saying it. it.
0: That's, an, yeah. that's an incredible description right there. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is and and, and also just a, a description of being able to giving us that perspective of being able to show up at a storm, look at the sky and actually see structure. I mean, someone like me when there's a thunderstorm rolling in over here in New York, we say okay, it's cloudy and we know the general mechanics that there's just some kind of a there's a discharge up there when we got lightning, we got the bang of of uh, thunder. I could not I could not explain that. People have been said, "Oh, it's wonderful." It's when, you know, the, the hot air and the cold air comes together. I said, well, I I the hot air, cold air comes together in my bathroom all the time. I don't hear thunder in there. So I, I, yeah. I, I really, I wouldn't be able to explain this one way or another. But to think that there are people like you out there who could see structure and mechanics like the the, the inner workings of a clock is really incredible. Um, now, you, you're talking about the observation point there in your bio it says it wasn't until about four years after the pig farm tornado so i'd have to imagine you were about 16 that you invested or you got your first camera and and, uh photographing the storms and in your bio you also said that each chase is either a triumph or a crushing defeat now when i consider how severe some of these storm systems are um you know suffering a crushing defeat at the hands of one can almost sound worse than death What is an example of a triumph and an example of a crushing defeat from your time on the road?
3: Absolutely. That's a great question. It solely comes down to what does, in my case as a storm chaser, where do I set my goals, right? Where do I set my level of success and where do I fall short of my goals? For me, I have been storm chasing now. This is my 15th storm chasing season starting in 2009 we're now in 2023 obviously lots of years have passed by Mm. so i've seen all different sorts of tornadoes and storms and whatnot so for me there are lower end things that i really don't really care about as much anymore from a uh chasing aspect because it's not as fascinating to me it doesn't get me excited it's not what really drives me or makes me focused to go out and chase um so for me a lot of the times when i go out storm chasing it's to go find a tornado and for me, personally, because of my experience, I'm very comfortable getting very close to tornadoes. So usually my goals follow somewhere in that is try to get next to a tornado, see a tornado, and then try to get right up next to it if I can, right? That's like a secondary goal if I'm able to do so. And then uh, because I'm more photography-based, I don't have a lot of video of a lot of my experiences, which has kind of burned me. And looking back on it, kind of wish I did, and I'm starting to like transition into that in recording more video rather than just being solely photo based mm-hmm. um but when i'm able to be next to a tornado and and just look up the funnel of the tornado watching how everything spins how everything moves how the atmosphere breathes how precipitation is formed watch it fall out of the sky lightning landing nearby for me that is not just an adrenaline high of being in an intense situation but i can just literally watch something i love so much do what it does and pick out the little nuances that make it so special to me and why it's able to exist in the first place. So that is an example of a success. So like, for an example, a storm chase I had in 2012, I got to see 12 tornadoes in a single day from two different storms. Wow! And that was an incredible experience. I never got necessarily super close, Now that's relative to some people, you know? Uh, I was probably no closer than Three te- or three quarters of a mile, maybe a mile away at the f- at the closest, about that distance. So for some, that might be stupidly close, and I get that. For me, I like to get a little closer than that. But for one of my first experiences next to a lot of tornadoes, that was close enough. So I was extremely thrilled. I saw plenty of tornadoes. I was able to go out with my dad. It was great father son bonding time. I made a forecast. It, everything went well, and none of the tornadoes I saw uh, killed anybody. And that is. Literally double thumbs up for me because no one lost their life. So I was able to enjoy the weather without consequences.
0: Yeah, I can see how that is. That is always a cherry on top. when you have a day of observation and you get to see this stuff happen and you can confirm that nobody was injured. You can really just be excited, you know?
3: Absolutely. Like the thing is structures, homes, those can be rebuilt. There's enough money in the world to rebuild your home one way or another. But we cannot rebuild a life that's lost, and so if you have a tornado experience and no one loses their life, that is a miracle, mm-hmm. and I love seeing those. Most of the tornadoes I have witnessed, which I've nearly witnessed a hundred, which is not as high as some of my other friends and colleagues that go chase more prolifically than I do, um, but I, I keep the tally simply for me because I I value those experiences. So, I. I cherish when I'm able to enjoy my hobby without the dark side of meteorology and of weather, you know, coming around. So that would be an example of success. An example of defeat is when I go out expecting something epic and nothing happens, which is probably great for everybody else. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but for me as a meteorologist, as a storm chaser, I'm obviously going out on my own dime. I'm driving Most of the time, more than four hours away to go uh, to an area that I think storms will occur. There's lots of reasons why you could fail on a storm chase. One could be storms didn't happen at all. Secondly, storms happened but didn't do it. Thirdly, storms did it while you were there, but traffic kept you away or precipitation kept you away so you didn't end up seeing anything, it was just a mess. Uh, There could have been storms, but also storms somewhere else, and that's where it happened, and you're miles and miles and miles away, so you just miss the entire show, and you feel a lot of FOMO, you feel left out Mm. from other peers that post pictures of epic tornadoes, and you're over here like, well, this hobby sucks, what am I doing with my life? Right. (laughs) So um, there were cases where, and probably more times than I can count, that I've had situations where my hopes and my goals were too high and so then getting into that storm chase realizing those felt way short of my expectations it really makes you sit there and wonder why you're doing this why am I wasting my time why am I wasting my money I could be doing many other things right now um, and it's those crushing defeats that like really help to keep everything in perspective one that I'm extremely fortunate to do what I what I'm able to do that I have the ability to do so frequently, and and I'm just able to appreciate, you know, simpler things. It keeps my expectations low without getting too lofty or sending my ego through the roof because well, I'm good at finding you, tornadoes. You
0: know what I mean? The 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 images that you have caught. I, I as as we've been talking here, I've been sifting through some of the some of the stuff you've got here. Even the, the your photos of the aurora borealis. I guess that's what that is it's just just gorgeous what you've got here i mean and as as you said before as ferocious and terrifying as these tornadoes are they are scintillating i mean uh, the the bendiness of the the smaller ones and how i just can't uh i can't imagine this being a normal part of life if you're living in these these areas in the united states or anywhere else i get some um but geez, I mean now, now I, I have never heard any uh, talk about being able to disperse storms, as you said. But they, they could be predictable. I imagine everything that you're still trying to learn would be best put to use to enhance the way that you issue warnings. Then, correct. Yes. Okay. You know, in the nineties, I think the the best. Okay, well, that of course is the big the big plot in Twister, in the in the in that movie. But in the 90s, when we were watching this, I think the favorite parts for me and my friends was how how every car in the caravan in that movie was specialized. They had the radios. We love radio equipment. Uh, We would we would talk on CBs every day for stupid reasons, just because the technology was so cozy. We they had a map guy in that movie. They had the radar person, photographers, etc. What technology? would you say is indispensable to a modern storm chaser these days?
3: That is a great question because it's evolved a lot. Like I've already talked about my first storm chase. I had nothing but a paper map book, right? Mm. That's pretty bare bones when it comes down to it. Uh, Even in old times, like that's still bare bones for everybody. Um, But how it's evolved now with our smartphones, right? We're able to get instantaneous data at our our fingertips we're able to look at satellite radar infrared satellites model data derived reanalysis data anything all in real time it's incredible what we would have been able to develop and use nowadays Uh, i have a professor at my college i I go to iowa state Um, i remember him telling us plenty of times in our lectures at how fortunate we are as the next generation of meteorologists coming into the field because the stuff that we have now, people couldn't have dreamed of 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Like, there's just no idea. They had no belief that anything like this was possible. So the advancements in our ability to predict and detect weather has grown exponentially. And that's amazing. The issue that that does pose now, and you talked a little bit you know, about the movie. It's something I want to clarify or go go into just a little segment here is that while the movie... In, their goal is to study tornadoes so they increase warnings, right? A lot of times now we get really good at trying to figure out where things could happen, and so we get lots of false alarms, right? Hmm. So then people stop believing. It's the boy who cried wolf situation, right? And so then that is now a more modern day problem that we're trying to learn how to get rid of and overcome. Uh, So with that, we, as a storm chaser, have technology that's available to us, Personal things I love to use, there's two different uh, phone or tablet ra- radar apps. One is Radar Omega and another is Radar Scope. They are both incredibly good mobile um, radar devices that you can have on your tablets, phones, you know, what have you. And it displays radars, velocity, p- bunch of different radar products that are useful if you know how to use them. Uh, it can tell you your exact location. You can see reports from other storm chasers and whatnot. Radar Omega is great because they are, they make it so you can see model data as well inside of the app as well, instead of having to go to other weather forecasting model sites. You can see live streams from other storm chasers that have videos up so you can get other perspectives. It's just it's amazing what these radar apps have. Another app that's a little bit different, um, that is a little bit more recent, it's called Satsquatch. It's a, uh, an app that primarily deals with satellite. Most of the time, especially for decades, we'd have to look up websites or get printed off satellite imagery right, and be able to figure it out. But now with that app, what they created is a way for us to get satellite data on our phones in an app instead of having to go to a whole website. It can play, it loops so you can see things, because a lot of meteorology, especially forecasting, now we call it nowcasting, is seeing what's actually going on with our eyes, right? Visual light gives us a real perspective of what storms do, so we might as well look at what the storm is looking like. What does it behave like? That is important in people that work at the National Weather Service, and they're able to discern what's going on from there, to storm chasers that are out seeking storms and looking for structure to identify what a storm's doing, even to... The local resident that lives in area and a storm's coming by. There's clearly things you can identify. To well, let me
0: let, let me ask you about that. What do you look for? Let's say you've got your your apps out. You're checking out the Doppler radar, whatever is going on. You're, uh what makes you say this is it? We got to get into the car. We got to go. And uh, we're we're going to have touchdowns here or whatever. What do you what do you see on a radar that makes you go oh oh we can't miss out on this one? What is the the, the big ringer for you?
3: Sure. There are two. And, and also
0: remember, Hunter, layman's terms. Because I, I know. <laughs> we, we don't because we don't understand you, you know, just make just go ahead and explain to us like we're five.
3: Sure. So if you ever have used a, a radar app at all, whether it's from the weather channel or weather underground or, or what have you, or you use higher end, more higher resolution radars from your phones or websites, what have you, something you want to look for when you're looking for tornadoes. Is areas of reflectivity. So the colors you see get really nice and tight and they curl. In the northern hemisphere, they are going to curl um, counterclockwise. And in the southern hemisphere, they rotate clockwise. So when you're looking for storms, and if you see something that looks concerning, you whip out your phone, right? And you pull up the radar. If it has what's called a hook echo, where there's a little area, usually in Uh, In the United States, we'll we'll use the United States as the, the basis here. Storms that usually produce tornadoes and hook echoes, they look like little hooks and appendages that come out of the south, southwest, or southeast side of storms. They hook out from the storm, curl back in, and right where it curls back in on itself, tornadoes like to occur. Because the storm is bringing, you know, this is the common phrase, right, you hear, warm air meets cold air and then you get storms right Hmm. that is super simple it's not quite true but hey we're gonna rock with it so when looking for tornadoes there's basic ingredients that a tornado needs it needs warm air being pulled into the storm it needs to breathe that warm air needs to rise cold air comes in behind it to tighten rotation to hook around meet that warm air and focus it and then the storm is able to lift that vertically and if the conditions are right, a tornado is able to occur.
0: Now now, now, tell me about that, because, the, because I, 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 think of, I try to think about what's going on. Ah, we had windy days before, very windy days. What we do have up here as far as severe weather in the Northeast, we've got uh, the remnants of hurricanes, tropical sto- storms, depressions, uh, severe thunderstorms. We get a lot of that stuff. But the wind usually, where it could be chaotic, it's blowing in one direction. My, uh, How the hell do you... How does this funnel form and stay together and maintain that structure? It's, it's just such a tight structure, and I don't understand how the funnel could even form.
3: You know, that is literally what we're all trying to figure out, right? We have a pretty good idea of what tornadoes are and uh, underst- a basic understanding of how they form, but there is still a long way to go of figuring out truly... What makes them tick and make sure we can nail it every time right? Mm. That's that's obviously what the science community is working towards There are tornadoes are so complicated beasts Which is really funny to say because it seems like in the u.s. We get tons of them The United States averages around 1200 tornadoes a year, which is tens of times more than anywhere else in the world So we get tons of them here And so then to say that they're very fickle beasts and if something is slightly off they don't exist Seems weird But we get favorable environments that produce tornadoes often in the United States, more so than anywhere else in the world. Things that we need. There's like three basic things for uh, supercell thunderstorms. And supercells is a fancy term for just a rotating thunderstorm. We all know what thunderstorms are. So a supercell, to become a supercell, needs a couple of things. It needs plenty of instability. Instability is just air that wants to naturally rise vertically. Uh, The atmosphere doesn't always let that happen, hence why we know that when you go up a mountain, right, it gets colder as you go up an elevation. That's because the atmosphere is is this way, that uh, it gets colder as you go up, and warm air naturally wants to rise to replace the cold air, and the cold air, which is much more dense, wants to sink and replace that air. But because of boundaries and things, the atmosphere doesn't allow it. So when you're able to blow that from something called a lifting mechanism, that can come from, like, a boundary from different air masses colliding. You can get that from mountain ranges. Uh, There's a bunch of other small scale ways you can get lift, but a, a way for the air is able to force upward. To break through that little barrier we call a cap, allow the air to naturally rise, you get a storm. Now the difference between a supercell and a regular thunderstorm is the rotation, right? So there's two different types of ways to obtain rotation. One is going to be speed shear meaning as you go up in the atmosphere, your winds increase in strength. So if you have like a 5-mile-an-hour wind at the surface, and you go up about a mile, and it's about 20 miles an hour, that's speed shear. Then the other way, which is really effective at making uh, supercells and tornadoes, is directional shear. So that means, let's say at the ground, you're feeling a wind coming out of the southeast. It's blowing from the southeast to the northwest, uh, which is usually accompanied in severe thunderstorm environments pretty often so you feel that you're like cool nice and warm well if you go about a mile off the ground maybe it's out of the south or southwest go up another mile maybe it's out of the southwest or west that creates a turning motion in the atmosphere wow so, so when you get that combining with speed shear you're evacuating air above it so the air beneath it wants to rise to fill that vacuum now you spin it because of natural spinning directional shear now you get rotating thunderstorms to exist in the environment and if that can condense down to lower the lowest section of the atmosphere which is usually from the ground to about a thousand meters off the ground if that's able to work perfectly you can get tornadoes
0: i you know i never thought in my life i could actually have somebody paint this picture and make it make semi sense i can see how all that would create at least the motion the, the the movement of the clock as we were saying before um so yeah I, I guess that's another thing from these movies is that there's the part of these plots in a, in a movie like twister is there's some scientific need to get inside of the tornado has this been done in any way that was um in, in, in any way that was characterized by the movie and uh, if so if, if anybody's been able to actually measure the motion and the mechanics of the inside of the tornado what was learned from that is that just is that just hollywood where does hollywood pick up aside from you know the tornado coming for helen hunt like it wants helen hunt um what what about the actual uh experiments that they were trying to run there is there any kind of reality there
3: you know the funny thing is twister is actually a really well done movie oh wow okay great but whether you want to believe it or not uh there are some small things that are really funny some particulars that are like uh, you know sometimes Twister runs from like an, an excellent movie to a b-class movie but it's my favorite movie in the world so you're wrong if you think it's terrible i, it's love, it. Bad. <laughs> I
0: love it i love it i love it
3: i love it but there's actually a lot of truth in the movie twister the storm chasing vibe that you get when you feel them get all excited to go out and chase um the experience that they have next to tornadoes can sometimes be similar. Um the tornadoes actually in in my opinion, the the tornadoes that occur in Twister look actually pretty dang good to what they look like sometimes in real life, which is really cool. And it's sad to say that the newer movies nowadays kinda suck. <laughs> They're not as nice. So it's like where what did we do wrong here? <laughs> I know. I know. But The the data though that they they seek to collect out, it's load Dorothy, throw it into a tornado, release the the data pods, and they circle around the tornado and collect data. That is something that people actually do. It's a little bit different. We don't have a big giant tub of probes in Dorothy and we throw it into a tornado. That's not quite how that works. Um, There are things that people do, which first I wanna talk about is a man called Tim Samaras. Uh, He is someone I absolutely look up to, a huge role model for me, someone I was able to meet, and unfortunately, he lost his life to a tornado in Mm. 2013. Um, It was extremely tragic, extremely deviant tornado motion and just a bad situation. And unfortunately, he lost his life, which was really hard for me and many of my friends and the rest of the community because he was pioneering this science. But Tim, he created something called uh, Tornado Probe, which was a... um, basically a spherical like tip of a nose cone that you would find on a rocket um, probably about a foot or two high in a big like circle and it would have cameras um, that would face you know able to see 360 degrees and have meteorology data packs loaded in and the goal was to put it in the path of the tornado and then get out of the way before the tornado runs runs you over similar to the movie and so Tim and I believe this was in 2003 2004, Um, I can't remember the specific date, I'm kind of bad on some of those things, but he was able to get a a probe in the path of a tornado, and what was incredible was that for the first time, we got to see the pressure field that tornadoes behave with, or what, what is going on inside of a tornado. Everybody knows there's atmospheric pressure all around us, right? The air around us creates pressure around us. What happens inside of a tornado, we didn't really know until this happened so what the his uh, probe was able to capture was a immense rapid very short-lived pressure drop when the tornado ran over the probe and so what we learned is that tornadoes are not actually just beasts that were caused by wind they're actually immense deep very sharp rapid pressure falls where the pressure goes from what we feel around us where we don't really feel it to very, very low, something we would feel almost a mile or two off the ground, but at an instant. And so what that does is it creates a vacuum. And so then the air is going to want to fill that. And so that's how we get the winds in a tornado. Winds don't naturally just exist. It's because pressure falls occur so rapidly that the air needs to fill that vacuum, similar to like popping a balloon, but in reverse. It just fills that void as best as it can, but it's a constant void. So you keep spinning around, spinning around, spinning around until the tornado is disconnected or it decays in some way, shape, or form. But for the first time, we got to see that inside of a tornado, we have these incredible pressure falls. We collected pressure, dew points, temperature, Um, Later years, which you saw if you're familiar with the show Storm Chasers, Reed Timmer, another person that is pretty prolific in storm chasing and a pretty big name, he was able to get a radar, a little box mounted radar on top of his uh, Dominator vehicle, which is designed to drive into tornadoes and survive being hit without being rolled or picked up. And they measured not only just horizontal wind speeds, they measured vertical wind speeds, and some of them were extremely intense, which what led to what the tornado was ended up rating in EF-4, and that was in 2010 in Wadena, Minnesota. Then from that as well, Reed had the idea of maybe driving into tornadoes isn't the safest thing to do all the time. Mm-hmm. So they created a, a probe system that they could manually fire from the vehicle uh, with rocket probes, where one, they could be loaded in a tube, hit a red button, and it would shoot the probe out, towards the tornado and hopefully it would break in and get carried along, similar to like the movie Twister. Uh, Another option is firing a bottle rocket up and at the tornado, similar idea. And now we even have ideas of loading drones with instrument packs and flying them nearby tornadoes or into tornadoes to collect data. The problem is, hopefully you can find the drone.
0: (laughs) Afterwards, yeah.
3: Afterwards, so that's kind of a problem. But you can see how the science is slowly turning away from throwing ourselves into tornadoes to using robotics drones things that where they're a lot more uh, disposable where life is not so much in danger so then you can still so, so, so what
0: you're saying that another very realistic thing about twister is that if they were going to try to create uh, a, a method to retrieve data from the these funnel clouds is that uh at the time there would have only been the option to run a pickup truck into an f5 or something like that and try to get the hell out of the way whereas now the technology is allowing us to do things from a safer distance and um but you know that also brings something else up for me because you bring i i see some of the 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 questions that are coming in really great questions that are coming in from the audience that i want to pepper you with in in a couple of minutes but and and one of them has to do uh, with Tim and Paul Samaras that you just you you brought up there, but before we get there, I want to I want to ask you um, separating thrill seeking v- uh, from scientific endeavors, and I and I, I understand that to do what you do. There is a passion. There is a a, 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 there is an addiction to the thrill as well. But you as you have already explained, there are several layers to what you are doing out there in life. Um, Do you find people are getting themselves into more trouble? chasing storms without respecting the life and death conditions that are being created there because especially with the ability to stream on mobile devices now i feel that a lot more people uh would would, would get a little bit uh, adventurous and find themselves in a situation that they really can't read correctly
3: that is a problem that is becoming more and more of a problem okay uh, i'm sure you've probably heard from the rolling fork tornado or the um There was a tornado in Illinois this year, and there are other days as well. But you find often that storm chasers find themselves in situations where they're not able to get out of. And to be fair, also for the record, I personally have been hit by a tornado uh, three times, actually. They've all been very weak, and I've been incredibly lucky. But those happened much earlier into my career. But the issue is now is that because storm chasing is becoming very sensationalized, that You're getting a lot of people that see videos of tornadoes, uh, especially from experienced chasers going, oh, that looks safe. I can totally do that. But the issue is you don't see the forecast, the the time it took for them to make the plan, to execute the plan, to get into a position where they could be close to a storm. No, the telltale signs next to a tornado of when things are good and you can approach or when you can't, situational awareness road conditions, visibility. There's so many things that go into these extreme tornado videos if they're done correctly, right? And when one mistake happens, you get situations of people not knowing there's a giant wedge tornado approaching them in a town where they have no escape routes, they miss their turn, and then they're not able to escape and they get hit by the tornado. And it's scary. I've been in this situation. It's terrifying.
0: how How quickly could a tornado... Of any size, close the gap on you. Let's say, let's say you are, I don't know, three to five miles away from it, and you think you're at a safe enough distance, and you're not really that experienced, or whatever. And suddenly, it, it, it shifts direction. Is it easy to see what direction it's shifting in, or is there any kind of like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, depth perception issues that you need to train yourself with? And how quickly can a tornado close the gap of even miles?
3: yeah uh it is for an experienced chaser easy for everybody else it's hard i for me I, when i teach people how to storm chase or give them advice or whatnot um and actually an experience i want to talk about as well is the el reno 2011 um sorry 2013 tornado um that was it was a tornado that expanded to record size it became 2.6 conservatively miles wide wow so it's just an absolute beast of a tornado. The actual funnel,
0: we're talking about the funnel that has touched down is nearly three miles.
3: At the ground contact, yes, which means the tornado gets bigger as it goes up. So we're talking about a massive beast, but it started as a large bull funnel with a couple of little sub vortex that would touch down and rotate around the parent tornado in the large circulation. So it was hard to gauge the real size of the tornado. And this is actually a case because there were people three or five miles out from this tornado thinking they're safe. They are well east of the tornado. It was moving southeast. Eventually they're gonna be in danger, but they think they have plenty of time to get out of the way. What happened? If you've watched the Weather Channel, um, a really great meteorologist, Mike Bettis, was um, on the air with the great tornado hunt, um, filming the tornado. They were about three or five miles away. So to give you perspective, going back to your really quickly to your first question of, You know how fast can a tornado bridge a gap well if a tornado is moving at 60 miles an hour that means every mile it only lasts a minute so in three minutes to five minutes you go from totally safe to your life is over in three to five minutes for a 60 mile an hour moving tornado that's terrifying so in this case this tornado was moving about 35 40 miles an hour to the southeast and it was getting bigger so not only is it moving at a good speed so crossing a mile every minute and a half, maybe two minutes at the slower end, but probably closer to a minute and a half. But it expanded in size. So that means it's now moving faster than the actual main body of the tornado because that edge is getting closer. Then what happened is the tornado deviated rapidly. So it, as it came southeast, there's a main highway out of El Reno where tons of storm chasers dove south to get out of the way of this tornado because the norm at that time was go south always, you'll be safe from a tornado, because that was the rationale at the time. Mm. This was not the case. The tornado dove southeastward, accelerated, expanded to its 2.6 mile wide size, made a 90 degree left turn almost on a dime, and obviously, you know, accelerating and getting bigger, meaning that it caught everybody that thought their escape route was safe, two minutes later was no longer an option. And in this case, with why I mentioned Mike Bettis and the great tornado hunt from the Weather Channel, they were bombing it south on this highway, probably speeds well over 90 miles an hour, which I would be too in that situation, just because your life is in danger at this point. And they get to a point where the tornado actually runs over them. And you see a one of the sub vortices inside of the tornado, which is basically a small tornado inside of the big tornado. It is where higher wind speeds are usually contained. And that vortice passed by them. The first car gets pulled into the ditch. Second car, which is where Mike Bettis was in, hits them broadside, picks their car up about 30, 40 yards, peels off to the left in the air, hits the ground, rolls for 200 more yards. The third car, completely untouched. And they were maybe 10 feet apart from each other. And that's how terrifying it went from, everything's fine, five minutes later, almost every people in the second car almost lost their life. Because the tornado was incredibly deviant, people lost situational awareness, and the rationale was wrong. People were misinformed. That's how quickly sometimes these things can go south really fast.
0: I mean, I have I have a, a question from the audience here. It's just, it has Hunter ever had to go into rescuer mode, drop the camera, and forget what he was chasing? Every news photographer, including me, had at one time or many times had to drop one role and assume another. You give up getting that shot in order to save people, or does he believe it's better to let first responders respond?
3: That's a great question, and for storm chasers, that is something that everybody has to personally ask themselves. Uh, Both answers are correct. I am not an experienced um medic i don't have formal you know degree or training in uh first aid i am a boy scout but like that only goes so far right mm. uh so i i know a thing or two but i would not say i am a licensed or professional in medical emergencies but i will always end my chase because i never want a situation to think if i had just stopped i could have helped the person out of the building and they wouldn't have lost their life. I never want to have that experience. If they're gonna die, I'd rather be the one to make sure they at least got out of the house, at least saying I tried. Because there was a situation, and actually funny enough to answer this viewer's question, I actually did search and rescue rather recently. Um, Some of you may have heard of the large tornado outbreak on March 31st. Yes. I was chasing out here in Iowa. I saw um, the um, Hedrick to Kyoto EF3, which was a large wedge tornado, and then the second EF4 that continued from Kyoto onward past Wellman towards Iowa city died before it got there. And other tornadoes occurred from there, but I started my chase. I got up to the storm, just thought I honestly wasn't going to see much to be completely honest. I thought I had already lost it because my other chaser friends in Illinois and Arkansas had already seen tornadoes. So I thought the day was over, but the storm said, Nope, just wait. It then ramped up really fast, produced this epic, large tornado, very photogenic, very visible. Um, didn't hit too much, which if you've been to Iowa, it's pretty sparse, you know, a farmstead every mile. Um, So that means it doesn't hit as much, but occasionally it clips a farmstead. Um, And I actually got picture of when the storm actually produced, was producing both tornadoes at the same time, so twins, like you see in the movie Twister, so that's kind of fun. Um, But I was trying to catch up to the next, uh, to that ongoing EF4 tornado, didn't know the intensity at the time, that's kind of something that happens later. But i was trying to catch up to it and we ran across a farmstead that got clipped by a tornado looked like it just hit mostly farm structures so we're like okay it's fine doesn't look like anyone was there we'll just keep going and we drive up a road go up to a hill see that there's power lines over the road so there's no way for us to continue eastward i'm literally watching both tornadoes move off to the east and i look to my right and all i see is what's left is a foundation of a house so at that point like chase over i don't care like People can go show me all the tornado pictures later. I don't want to think that I just passed by someone who could have lost their life and I could have done something. So I spent the rest of that afternoon going from house to house to house to house, hit in the path of the tornado, and just seeing if anyone was there or needed help. And this is actually, I gave a, actually a funny thing, I gave a presentation about this tornado to um, other students in a a speech class that I'm in, funny enough. but when we pulled up to the house, we got there about 30 to 45 seconds after the tornado had just hit the building. And all that was literally standing of this two-story home was the four walls around the the bathroom on the first floor. That is the only thing that was left standing. Everything else was completely swept away to the foundation. So I'm thinking the worst, because all I see is four walls inside of a building. Who knows where they are? If they were anywhere else on that building, they would be in the field. And come to find out, walk up, we're sprinting up the road, come to find out that the people that were in the house uh, actually didn't even hear tornado sirens. The guy happened to just be lucky enough to walk outside, see it coming, take shelter, grab his wife, get into the bathroom. And they said 10 seconds later, the whole house went.
0: They were in the only part of the house that did not get totally level. They were in the bathroom. Uh-huh. I thought you were going to say that they came out of a storm cellar.
3: No, they didn't have any. Why? They, they walked out of the building wow. that had the only walls left standing and just like that right there is a freaking miracle
0: that's a, yeah that's...
3: and the next house i come to completely slabbed all that's left is the foundation and come to find out everybody else was in their shelter awesome next house no one was home it was slapped cool next house don't know if anyone's there we're digging in a building find out no one was home they're actually just in town a mile away like just constantly and i i always will value the life of a human being over a tornado picture um because i'm i'm not stupid like I recognize that I'm out here chasing something that will ruin someone's life. And if I can be the person to help, I will. And uh, I've always had that, that belief as a storm chaser. And I had an experience actually last year during the Winterset, Iowa EF4, where I didn't even know a tornado was occurring. And it was a big, a nearly half mile wide wedge tornado. And we drove up Highway 169 into Winterset, came up, had no idea there was a tornado, We were probably 45 seconds behind it, but it was tucked in behind a a curtain of rain, so we couldn't see it or hear it. We come up, and we just see what's left of what looked like a garage, but that house next to it looked totally fine, so we're like, ah, cool, we'll keep going. Well, that was a two-story home that was slabbed, and I didn't know this at the time, but the road to the left led to about four or five different very modern uh, homes, and one of those houses, or two of those houses, where people lost their lives now from the reports that i've read and the everything that i've learned about the event of what happened to those people they were likely deceased during the tornado so there wasn't like anything i could have done but that haunted me that i passed by and had no idea i could have helped but you don't know right and so that is always that will haunt me for the rest of my life and i just reinforce that belief of i will always stop to help if i can that's
0: those are the things that you can only learn along the way though man and and it's uh it's i i know most people in a in a in a line of work like you will start to amend their beliefs and and give themselves little minted post-it notes reminders of of what the new protocols are and and what priorities are there too um you know you 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 mentioned uh that crazy flurry of of, of activity all over it, it seemed like it was nationwide and on march 31st because I, but i had another question from a southerner uh one of our many southern um viewers of the show sent mm-hmm. sent this to me what was up with the severe weather moving uh further south lately i'm in northeast texas and we're under tornado watches far more often than before same with arkansas louisiana mississippi and yeah uh, especially with mississippi there hunter i i mentioned this I think earlier in the the show tonight, I had friends all over the Midwest dodging tornadoes, texting me updates. We had a weatherman down in Mississippi pray on air for people uh, for at least one of these tornadoes, which he described as just a little bit over a mile wide, which is not as nearly as impressive as two point six, but still, um, you know, that that's uh, this was all. I don't know how many touchdown over the course of March 30th to April 1st, but what what would you be able to, uh, to ascribe that to?
3: Honestly, I I've had a, discussions on about this event because uh, we I, I've made jokes that we don't make outbreaks like we used to. Mm. Uh, the last several years, we've been we haven't had a lot of these over 100 tornadoes in a single day outbreak. They're usually a lot smaller, more regionally based. Uh, we don't see this this widespread where you know eight, nine, ten states are seeing tornadoes. So this event on the thirty first was rare. Absolutely, it was in the upper echelon of, of tornado outbreaks, and I think it even breaks the top five in recorded history since I believe nineteen fifty. So it's it was a pretty big deal, pretty rare event to have such great meteorology things come together for tornadoes over a wide area. Partially, that is because of, and you've probably heard this from other people, I do want to put a disclaimer, I am not an expert on climate science, my focus is more so on severe storms, but there is a connection between teleconnections and how those affect the weather in the United States. You've probably heard of, excuse me, of Enzo referring to La Nina, El Nino, Mm -hmm. patterns from the ocean, that is a strip of ocean that we watch fluctuate in average temperature with time and those vastly affect how the united states receives its weather in el nino patterns the subtropical jet that usually is primarily over tropical regions becomes more active and then in la nina we get situations where the polar jet is much further north it tends to cut through a lot more of the eastern, northeastern part of the U.S. a little bit more. The Ohio River Valley tends to be more wet. Other areas tends to be more cold and dry, etc. So they have a varying effects. What the general pattern is, and then the weather we experience is the variations of that pattern, right? So, for this, and you'll hear this from a lot of other meteorologists, and I'm I'm, non, I'm not I'm absolutely the same here, um, that it's really hard to ascribe one single event to a event like saying, ah, we're going into El Nino. So clearly that was the driver. right and That's hard to connect in the moment, in the short term, right? That's something that maybe is we discuss research and people come out with research saying maybe this was the case, right? Because we know that if El Nino influences a stronger subtropical jet, areas in the southeast and southern Plains like texas arkansas mississippi alabama tend to have bigger outbreaks because they have better wind shear right and when we have a stronger polar jet things tend to go a little bit further north uh etc in the the last three years or so we've had a pretty impressive la niña and that has led to pretty crazy weather from in my case up in the midwest i had a epic uh derecho in august then we had derechos in December, which was super unbelievably rare; never happened before, and that produced well over 100 tornadoes. Um, just extreme tornado events occurring more often in the Midwest over the last couple of years, and then now we're rapidly changing into El Nino through this neutral pattern, and now we're getting all of these big troughs or dips in the jet stream out further west that are encroaching into the southeast more. Now, granted. The southeast does have a tornado season it's not just tornado alley from texas oklahoma kansas right there are multiple regions of the u.s that favor tornado activity at different times of the year in the southeast the time that usually favors tornadoes is going to be anywhere from november through generally march into april and then you basically have a big ridge of high pressure that makes everything hot and humid welcome to the summer we're all having drinks out in in new orleans right Mm -hmm. so that's the, usually their season. For the rest of the plains and the Midwest, we wait towards the late spring into the summer months, and then that slowly comes back southward as winter then makes its approach again. So in this case, yeah, the south has been pretty active, and I think partially that's because of strong influence of rapidly changing teleconnection cy- cycles from a La Nina to an El Nino. Because that favors just stronger jet stream, mm. and stronger jet streams means more energy. More energy means potentially more storms, and it, it worked out to be prolific outbreaks.
0: See, this is a this is something that uh, most people don't know, um, and I and I, I really do believe that the, the more sober explanations that you give, um, it, it doesn't make, of course, the the panic and the, the destruction any any less. But it, these. We we cover a lot of things like geoengineering uh, on the show and and um, and uh, weather modification that's been going on and, and what the what the the fallout for that could really be like solar activity and, um, and but you know. You you must pick it up that instead of being able to approach these things from very level-headed Directions like you just gave us what it could possibly be and how these things change from time to time and whatnot. It's very opportunistic uh, Opportunistically seized upon turned into political cudgels turned into all this other stuff And it makes people go nuts instead of wanting to crave some maybe uh, some really useful information uh, we, we we just start biting each other's heads off because you know one person wants to, you know tax another person. it's it just it's just crazy what what the uh, what the, the conversations devolve into. So it's refreshing to hear you just talk about this stuff so level headedly. I know we're running out of time. It's eight twenty two over here at least it's 722 where you are and i want i have a couple more questions from the audience i thought are really great and i want to just rapid fire them at you give us give us nutshells for all this stuff number one this one might be a little bit a little bit more involved but just see what you can do because you already mentioned tim and paul samaris um someone said how did the death of the very cautious chaser and scientist tim and paul samaris and carl young affect you, uh, did you alter your method you used to chase after that?
3: Absolutely. Here's the thing. Tim was regarded as the expert at the time with getting close to tornadoes and research. If he, being one of the most prepared and cautious people out there, gets killed by a tornado, you absolutely can have this happen to you. You are not safe. There's a lot of people feeling like they're invincible and you're not mother nature takes a no mercy if you give her the slightest chance don't do it for me i approach storms where i know i will be able to go home in the same pieces that i left with right i i want to make it home to my wife i want to be able to chase another day nothing is more important than that
0: okay uh yeah i, I let's see here what's another one okay your thought dust devils and water spouts are they just same mechanics but just a lot weaker
3: uh dust devils are actually formed differently than water spouts or tornadoes have you water run, spouts you ever run through
0: one tornadoes huh? w- water spouts are tornadoes yes but they're just they
3: basically are tornadoes they Do, are what's called land spouts which are formed not from supercells, but they can still occur in areas of low level shear or spin um But they're most of the time not associated with a giant thunderstorm above, right? Gotcha. Um, So sea breezes can cause lots of wind shifts, and so sometimes we get water spouts, and then usually when they run across land, they die out pretty quickly. So water spouts are similar to tornadoes, treat them like tornadoes. Dust devils are formed differently, where they are formed because something at the ground is really hot, causing air around it to be much cooler than right at the ground, so it rises very rapidly. And if there's any wind, it could t- tilt that updraft, and then you get a little whirl that'll continue.
0: Okay. Now, have you ever you, you ever have any uh, fun running through a uh, a, uh, a a dust devil? Because I, I see you people.
3: You better believe it.
0: Okay. So where, where do you where do you find one? Because I, I see videos of this all the time. I'm like man, I want to run through that. Damn.
3: Literally, find a hot dirt field and on a windy day, and you could – possibly get a dust devil well, they're saw a lot a little more common ones. in areas where you get lots of dust because you need to pick something up for you to be able to see it right sometimes in areas of lots of forests uh if you can get one to go up you'll get a, a one full of leaves or whatnot but they're a lot more common out in the southwest in the desert areas because one dust is really easy to loft and two it's really hot
0: okay um here's another thing i gotta ask you this is a little bit more on the I don't know, theoretical. I always get mixed answers with this one, but what about ball lightning? Is this something that is real? Uh, we've, we we I don't know how many of the videos online are real, but we see every once in a while there's a video that pops up of what looks to be a floating ball of blue energy that is crossing somebody's front lawn. And my god, if this was if this was 1000 BC, I would have said it was some kind of a, an entity. And created yep. and created a religion around it or something is is ball lightning real if it is what the hell is it?
3: I'm gonna be honest. I have no expertise on it But if you want a personal opinion do I believe it's real yes, but most of the time the videos are fake
0: Okay, yeah, no, I know that a lot of them, a lot of them look <laughs> fake. All right, so so but, did...
3: hey you heard it here first I'm, I'm a believer
0: <laughs> now dust storms obviously this is just has to be dry conditions but what i have heard is that there is also a a condition that could create inside of a dust storm if there is any kind of precipitation it will literally cause mud storms and uh and mud will get slung around have you ever seen anything like that
3: i could see how the logic comes from that i i wouldn't call it a mud storm per se okay because uh, i mean you got to think about it right what's mud made of water and dirt well if you got dirt flying through rain congrats you have a mud storm right uh so i don't know i mean dust storms are pretty simple uh all it takes is just really strong downdrafts from a storm storms will produce really cold air that sinks to the ground if it's coming out really fast sometimes it can stir up dust lift it up and over because that dust is very light and will usually be associated in the warmer air because it gets picked up and lifted with (laughs) the warmer air Mm -hmm. because warm air is a lot less dense than cold air so it'll lift it and so that's why especially in like phoenix or in areas of the middle east where it's a lot more dusty or africa you can see parts of uh storms that kick out a lot of cold outflow kick up dirt and dust and they are super fun to be in but they are the worst to drive in wow
0: Okay, and I have to imagine they do a number to cars and intakes and all that. Anything that is, is drawing from the atmosphere to cool an engine or something mm-hmm. must be something. Uh, here's another one that, that really makes people freak out from time to time when they see it. But have you ever been able to photograph these uh, these sprites, these the, the the sprite lightning? Have you ever seen this?
3: I I have only twice. I am uh, to be fair, it's a very niche set of photography that I'm not very good at. I have a good friend, Paul Smith he is the one who goes out and does a lot of the sprite photography. Um, it's definitely a skill, and it takes a lot of time and effort, but I've seen it a couple of times. I photographed it once like super faintly, but I was like, hey, I did it.
0: <laughs> Dude, I'm <laughs> but, telling you, because this is another thing where people see this for the first time, they tend to think that we are about to witness the final battle between heaven and hell. And it,
3: it's... <laughs> No, no. They are very much real things that occur. They just occur so high off the ground, and the reason why we're seeing them is because, well, did we have really good camera gear 50 years ago? 100 years ago? No, yeah. No, oh, no, our cameras have improved astronomically. So when you think about it, our cameras are able to be much more sensitive to very faint light in dark situations. So if you point it up in an area where sprites keep occurring, which is above thunderstorms with lots of very vivid cloud to ground lightning, positive strikes if you get a lot of these big giant bolts, you know, the ones that are really sharp, hit the ground, crack, make you f- duck inside your car or in your house because you're like, ooh, that was close. Those ones, they also send charge through the stra- into the stratosphere, and they excite electrons similar to like a neon light in a tube. They excite the gas that's up there, and you get these big jellyfish blooms as the electrons in the um, atoms in the stratosphere get excited. And so you get this little flash of red And that's what sprites are
0: it's incredible. It's just so it's just so incredible the 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 natural light shows that we are given if you know what you're looking for and uh, That yeah, here's one more that just came in. I think it's pretty quick Uh, Would you be able to could your guest tell this is from God's ghouls? No, no this is from Jenna from South Carolina can you can you ask Hunter if he can explain a straight wind? This type of weather phenomenon uprooted some of our pecan trees, pecan trees that were uh, decades old and massive. What's a straight wind?
3: A straight wind is usually associated with straight-line wind thunderstorms. So, uh, if you've ever heard of the term squall line, especially out uh, east over the mid-Atlantic, you're probably pretty familiar with squall lines or lines of storms. They form because cold fronts which we've mentioned now more than once. The big thing about meteorology is knowing that warm air is less dense. Cold air is very dense in comparison to each other. And so when a storm hits a cold front, that storm is now forced to travel at the speed that that cold front is traveling. So it changes the storm anatomy and how it behaves. It starts ingesting air, lifting it up bringing that cold air or it develops cold air as precipitation is formed rains back down the cold front helps push that precipitation out forward and underneath the storm if that wind energy is really strong and you can get enough of a line of thunderstorms that precipitation that's falling deflects the higher level wind downward towards the ground so when you get these lines of storms in sometimes you'll hear wording of extremely strong wind jets or wind energy from national weather service or your local meteorologist that's because behind these storms there's a big jet of energy or a core of high wind speeds off the ground and as that funnels into the storm because obviously it'll be moving faster than the storm itself it'll hit the storm and some of it gets deflected downward and it slows down a bit with friction but it can arc towards the ground hit the ground and then fan outward and that fanning outward is what we feel when a storm goes overhead, and you get that strong winds. And sometimes, like for me, and I've been hit by multiple derechos living in Iowa, uh, you could get really intense wind storms, which, in my opinion, are super fun because I I don't know I just think it's cool that we get them every once in a while. Um, but they can become pretty intense. Sounds they, like they, sounds they like it would, of it would 80, create, 90 miles an hour.
0: It would create some sort of like a shovel effect. Uh, mm-hmm. I can, I can see how it could scoop out in trees right right from the bottom if, if you say if it if it's just forced downward like that and create a little bit of a you know a splaying motion but that's uh that, that's incredible I guess the last thing I would ask you just for me is would you ever and maybe you have would you ever drive through a tornado in one of those dominator cars
3: Oh absolutely 100%
0: <laughs> Okay all right so then so I can, I, I guess that we'll save that for another call Hunter folks it is fauks it is so great to have you on i have your url over here in the description therealworldphotography.net you're also on uh, twitter you want to let everybody know what your twitter is oh it's right over here uh your twitter is oh okay i'm gonna this it's a lot of abbreviations so i'm just going to put it up on the screen and tell everybody about it uh yeah storm chaser hunter f but it's all abbreviated uh, anything you want to leave people with, a a, a plug of your own or, or, or anything like that? I'd love to have you back one day,
3: man. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really grateful you were able to have me on. This is a lot of fun. I mean, I'm super passionate about this. Uh, I love discussing weather. I, I want to dedicate my whole life to it. Um, but we've talked about a lot of things from fun topics to experiences and some really dark things. And the important thing to remember is that while weather has a dark side, does not mean it needs to completely affect your life. The important thing is when severe weather comes, because it'll impact all of us, me personally, or when I'm out chasing, or to you, or any of the viewers here, severe weather comes for you at different points in your time in life. The important thing is just be educated, know what things to look for, trust good sources, find out information, have a plan. And when you put all these things in motion, there's almost nothing to fear. And if you're able to do that, severe weather becomes less terrifying. It becomes a lot easier to understand, and you're able to overcome lots of bad situations. And when disaster strikes, that's okay, because it happens. We're able to overcome it. We have a nation of people that, while it may not look like it on the news, there are lots of people in the world that are willing to help in bad situations. Humanity is still here. The important thing is to remember that you're there. Severe weather comes and goes. Just be smart. Pay attention to what's going on around you. And I'm obviously happy to always answer questions on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I do have a YouTube. Like I said, bad at video. We're getting better at it. Um, but you can find me under Hunter Fowkes as well on YouTube. Pretty simple. You'll see probably plenty of my uh, Storm videos on YouTube as well. So.
0: Well, I, I hope people... You. I hope people go in and check you out, and uh, and I consider you a friend of the show now, Hunter. And thank you so much for not only your time, but your positivity and of course your passion. So you have yourself a wonderful night. Stay safe and keep in touch, especially if anything awesome happens on your end that you want to show off to the world. I'd love to have you back for short segments, for a little to be our little uh, correspondent. If you're if you're ever out in the, in the field and you want to report in live on something, I'd love to have you on. So uh, just just keep in touch and put us in your rolodex
3: absolutely thank you for having me
0: all right man have a good one you too there you go there is hunter fowks that is a wonderful evening i am so happy uh i'm so happy we got to do this so we're going to take a quick break for intermission we will come back i want to spend the last 20 minutes just taking your calls because i'm sure that you guys and gals have incredible weather testimony and stories since you live all over the united states and around the world you know we're not the only place on the planet that has crazy crazy weather so let's see what comes over the lines when we get back and thanks again to hunter fowkes be right back
1: it's intermission time folks time out press the like button thank you i sure. now entering quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly
3: quite frankly
1: quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly
0: quite frankly
1: quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite
0: frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite
1: frankly quite frankly quite frankly
0: quite frankly quite frankly Jonas, are you there? It's me, your enemy, Bill Paxton. Billy. Trying to steal my design, you son of a bitch! What the hell are you talking about? No. fighting!
1: Son of a bitch, Jonas, 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 <celery> Son of a bitch, Jonas, son of a bitch You son of a bitch!
0: That we were going to go this whole show, this show, without playing Jonas? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, no, no, no. All right, let's get into your super chats and then we're going to take your calls. 914 595 6953. 914-595-6953. We're going to take your calls. Try and listen, we have about 20 minutes, so trying to keep a try to keep it, you know, keep it snappy so we can get as many people as possible. Um, very fascinating and informative show tonight, and I knew it would be all right, over here on Rockfin, we've got a tip. It's from Patriot Angie for Liberty. It says, hey, Frank and Hunter, I have lived in what is considered Tornado Pathway in Clarksville, Arkansas. I have lived through three destructions of homes, having to move, crazy experience. I have a question. The times I've experienced these storms, there's usually been a green hue to the air. Do you see that where you live? You know, I made a comment about green sky angie and i and i forgot to actually make it into a pointed question what attributes to the green hue because that's another thing that we that we learn from we learn from twister as you will see as we are airing i hope you all uh watch it together we, we should all watch it together after the show ends in a few minutes on quite TV. first they're going to play an old quite frankly from 2020 where we announced uh it was a fun night he announced the the pregnancy uh, that Aurora was coming but then after that I would have to say sometime around uh, 10.30 or so p.m. Eastern Time which means you Central and Pacific Time people it's not going to be that late at all it's going to be prime time for you Twister Twister I'll make sure I telegram and tweet about it and all that stuff going green and then uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman goes greenage greenage they had a great it was a great cast. Great cast, good stuff and I'm happy to hear that it's actually pretty spot on. Aside from the fact that you have to take creative liberties and and create tension and you know in a in a in a slasher film when you create tension because you know a murderer is out to get you. In this they really personify the twistery. It almost roars and obviously there's a roaring that comes from high winds, but you can, you know, this is personal for for joe for helen hunt she says you don't know what it feels like to have it miss that house miss that house and come for you and she's looking for that f5 like it's the same one like it's the very same one it came like it's jaws you know so that's the kind of stuff that you could just sit back and say well you know you gotta you gotta create something here but uh that's what just makes it more endearing i love it and i would love to be able to eat um dinner or lunch at aunt meg's house with all those steaks and the mashed potatoes and the eggs all those steaks i'm gonna watch that i'm gonna watch that movie tonight just for the steak scene lord help us all right larkstar444 says i'm definitely impressed with your guest frank my friends are responders and he states it's traumatic for anyone All need to have a safe room plan, as he pointed out. Only moments make the difference in life and death. Much love to all. I've read over the years that the best thing you can do is get subterranean. To get underground. So I would think that anybody who lives in that whole tornado alley area would have a basement that you could... That you can access without having to go outside and go into a storm cellar. But imagine... Imagine the... I mean, you think about that family that was all huddled in the bathroom the one place that was not touched and what do you do i mean do you do you move out of the state do you really rebuild i would be so traumatized but also immensely grateful stowstube says just some support another great guest thank you quite frankly thank you christos so much thank you KT Sky d says you are exactly right dankly i always say you just have to find that balance Jenna from South Carolina. Uh, Well, this was her question about the straight wind. I'm glad that we got that in. God's Ghouls. God's Ghouls says, Frank, you are on fire this year. I love your show and appreciate how straight uh, you and your guests are. Kyle brought it. He distilled the core of the matter perfectly. It's the middle. It's the middlings. The middlings, not some unknowns are sinking this ship. Thank you for that. It's great to have you out there. And so generous of you, too. Thank you, God's ghouls. Ruben says, happy fifth birthday to William from Uncle Frank. William? That's a big birthday, man. Five. I remember when I was five. You know why? Because my mom said I can get out of the car seat at five. That was a big year for me. I was out of the car seat at five years old. And um, and I felt like a... I felt like I was on top of the world. Five was a big deal. It's half of 10, you know. You're getting too big, William. Revolution says, I won't hear tonight's Thursday till tomorrow. My daughter is performing tonight at a musical. Just heartbroken that our beloved Matt is a fucking rat, like big pussy. I guess he won't have to kill himself now that the fam has no choice but to whack him sad. What do you mean? Matt's a rat? I what happened? I, I don't. I don't even. Am I? I'm missing the. I think I'm missing the reference here. Matt hasn't ratted. Matt is uh, suicidally loyal. Well, actually, well, he was the one leaving all those threatening letters on my car all those years and denying it. So there is an element of. I don't know subversive. In him. Let's see what else. Any rumble rants? No rumble rants. But wonderful wonderful audience interaction throughout i'm glad um these are the nights that i really love on the show they set us apart i believe c blanche thank you so much on quite frankly.tv paulie 9363 uh nx17 says great and interesting guest thank you hunter Zeta anon says great show hunter Huntin. And Kitty Wu, thank you. Also, Robert Sarnes and Music Man 75. You guys are wonderful. I'm going to release the scratching over there so I do not forget. And just remember, make yourself comfortable on QuiteFrankly.tv. It's going to be a nice night still coming. All right, let's go to uh, call. First one through is Truth Quest. What's going on, Aaron? Hey, Frank. Great show
1: today. The boy Hunter sure has the perfect first name for hunting
0: storms. Oh, yes. Um,
1: say when I was 16, I had a couple of buddies and, you know, one of my friends, his father had an MG midget and there was a tornado and we said, Hey, let's go chase the tornado in the MG midget. And as you know, there's no room in there. I was in the backseat. There's no backseat by the way, but there we were going through YZ, Minnesota, looking for this. Tornado and all we saw was wind and stuff and branches going. I think we found it. <laughs> so you found one? Yeah, there'll be. Him. I, uh, we obviously found something, and we were just in an MG midget. So I think we we succeeded although we didn't get uh, lifted up didn't see the wizard of oz
0: well thank thankfully that didn't happen jeez yeah i i, I have i i put margaret hamilton in the uh, in the the thumbnail for tonight's show her her zipping through the air and in her, in her her bicycle while dorothy is going up uh, but but yeah no thankfully that didn't happen to you because i don't think that this phone call would be would be uh, being had right now
1: good point yes 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 indeed indeed um
0: well, thank you for that, so, Aaron. It's it's great to hear from you, and, and I hope I hear from you again soon.
1: Thank you very much. Take all right.
0: care. All right, take care. Let's get a couple more in. 405. 405, you're on the air. Who's this? Hi, Frank.
2: This is Katie. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Uh, am I on speakerphone by any chance?
2: Let me fix that immediately.
0: Okay. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. So sorry.
0: No, um, it's all right.
2: My, I go by... Uh, Patriot okay, Patriot girl oh i okay, know Rope you in
0: oklahoma oh of course i know and, you and uh
2: we were i was teaching with horses with my daughter at that may 3rd 1999 tornado hmm. and what we it was the big one that hit oklahoma city and what was so amazing is that we know here when they're going to come you know you have you can tell by the weather forecast and the loops that you'll know two or three days ahead of time if something big's coming. And so we were running. We, and that thing hit the ground in Lawton and stayed on the ground, and we're east of Oklahoma City. So we were in the truck just... <laughs> out running that tornado, and one of my students, her... The only thing left of the property was her riding boot.
0: Wow. Just uh, wow. And... Uh, so you was say? Amazing
2: so- too. Like, and we, most of us here used to them. We make fun of them. I mean, in the sense we'll have the Gary England drinking game. Mm. So if you heard that hear the word verb, tornado uses a verb, uh, you get to take a sip. Not that we drink that much anymore, but <laughs> we really try to make fun of them. And and after 2013, I had to – and I usually didn't have to run. We haven't had that many. And in 2013. I had to run 3 times with my dogs and we have a huge storm shelter now.
0: <laughs> so now we now let's now it's in 2013 when when you know when you found that it was uh it was not safe to just sit and make fun and and start drinking uh and you said oh, okay you well, know. Yeah, we we have you to see, get
2: you, like, the radar is so good. You so, can tell in fact like three have gone over the property but it's only the big heavy duty ones that are going to do damage if you're not you can protect yourself in a bathtub or whatever on an F two or underneath that, but if it's an F three or above, you know to run or you know to get down.
0: Okay, and so but you but you were saying that even with the absence of radars, you can after a while of being down there in that area, you can just you you know a couple of days out that something's coming, huh?
2: If you're paying attention, yeah, and like one time I almost drove into one, and it was green, the air was still and the leaves were floating.
3: Wow, floating.
2: So you know, you know, anyone, if you did, if like, just what Hunter was saying, don't be fearful, learn about them. And maybe I'm intuitive, I think I am, but you just know. Well, so I, you know whether, and on those days, I get prepared, all the dogs' jackets are ready to go. I put blankets on the horses and put my phone number on them. Um, if one's coming, I moved real fast that last 25 minutes.
0: Well, I'm happy. I'm happy to hear this. It gives me confidence that there's people who are just uh, ready to go. It makes you, makes you worry for those who are not as mobile. But thank you so much for the call. This is I, I love these God types of... God bless
2: you, of, Frank. We love you.
0: Well, I love you, too. Thank you so much. Take care.
2: There Bye. There you go. I
0: definitely want to play a drinking game with her. That 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 calmed me. She calmed me. She calmed me down a great deal. 985... Yeah, I, I, 985, how you doing?
1: Um, good, Frank. Thank you. Who is Great this? Great show tonight. Thank
0: you so much. Who am I speaking with?
1: Uh, this is Southern Lady Tiger. Southern Lady we Tiger. We are uh, supporters of yours. Um, it goes by A.G. Hogue. Um, Wonderful. We are north of New Orleans, and we experience several hurricanes a year. Uh, sometimes, you know, some years, none at all. But um, I, one question that I really wanted to try to get in to ask uh, Hunter was: We have um, tornadoes inside of hurricanes. Hmm. You you can see them. You know we've been we've been outside during hurricanes, um, not very far outside, just on the porch or whatever. You know, but you can see these tornadoes ripping through. The area you can hear them, um, but they're—it's like there are many tornadoes inside. I guess that's what he was calling the updrafts or the downdrafts. Um, but they are real, and you can see them in a hurricane.
0: Okay, so now, now for me, for the un—for me, the untrained Frank, I for—I'm going to be writing this down to myself because there's a couple things. So, so I want to talk about tornadoes inside of hurricanes. I also want to ask questions about the eye of the hurricane because okay. you know that would be wonderful, but you know, I, I from what he described tonight, I'm sure that we would have gotten a really interesting and consistent answer about the kind of conditions that are probably re- readily available to spawn all types of things like that with all the pressure changes inside of a something as massive as a hurricane and that whole thing is uh, is a rotating I mean we've all seen those those radar images on on the news on the weather channel for years now we know that, that that's the the, oh, yeah. the hurricane that buzz saw rotation there so i would not be surprised yeah. if hunter laid down a very consistent answer as to why you would have seen tornadoes popping up all over the place during a hurricane
1: right but i'll In write it katrina, down Katrina, we literally saw a hurricane i mean uh, tornadoes ripping through katrina it was it was pretty intense Um, I mean, you have the storm surge, you, you know, you're going to have the winds, but the tornadoes are sporadic and you never know where they're going to, they, they went from, uh, as far as like Mobile, Alabama, when, when Katrina first hit land, Hmm. all the way from Mobile, Alabama to West Louisiana and, uh, East, East Mississippi into, you know, all the way across Mississippi. Well, Katrina was a totally different animal. But um, no, I thoroughly enjoyed him. He is very knowledgeable, and I want to give you some props because you are an excellent interviewer. Your questions were great; they were intelligent, and I, I, we we just love you. Well, My I, husband and I listen to you every night.
0: And what's your husband's name? Alan. Alan, what's going on, Alan? Is he watching right now? Hey, what's up, bud? How you been? Did you did you like the show tonight too?
1: Oh, hell yeah!
0: Okay. Damn. So you <laughs> I'm know, sorry, said, oh, no. Sorry. listen. What what your wife was just describing about with uh, with Katrina and that mix of hurricane and tornado that must have looked like something out of Revelations.
1: It it was, but you know something. You know about those ahead of time. Hmm. Tornadoes, you don't.
0: Right. That's just uh I I guess I guess that's the whole point of tonight. What 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 kind of knowledge can you arm yourself with? But man, I I'm very happy that uh you guys down there are enjoying yourselves and it's wonderful to hear from you. I hope I hear from you again. And if you can't get through, remember you can always email me. So, uh, just remember that.
1: I will do that and I have his information as well. Good. Good. I definitely look him up.
0: Yes, because he, he's very he's very knowledgeable, and he likes to respond to people, and I will definitely get him back in a uh, in a couple of months or something, and, and we will do a lot of the follow-up questions that we weren't able to do tonight. But I'm glad you enjoyed, and have yourself a good night, you two.
2: You too. You, Thank you too. Thanks.
0: All right, guys, have a good one. There you go. So, okay, we're getting there. 857. Let me see if I can bring on one more call. 914 595 6953. And then tomorrow we are ending the week in style. I don't know what style it's going to be. Hopefully it's something nice. Hopefully it's something nice. 914 595 6953. I'm looking around for that last call. I don't know why the hell. I, they all just went away. Probably because it's so late. They said, oh, he's not going to take any more calls. But you guys, uh, thank you again. That's all we'll do then. I don't want to... Uh, I want to give it off to the the network guys on time tonight. I'm always bleeding over. But get on over to quitefrankly.tv and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, oh, one one more came in from Larkstar. On quite frankly, superchat.com says. By the way, responders watch this show, Frank, as it helps us escape with such a great show. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad there's a lot of people out there with stressful and necessary jobs that watch this show that I've learned about over the years, and I'm glad that uh, you find me worthy and capable of being able to take your minds to different places and, uh, and ask maybe interesting questions. And hopefully we can find a couple more interesting questions to ask tomorrow night to end another great week. Because next week is going to be a doozy. Next week is going to be a doozy. Especially it's ending in a, in a doozy kind of a way. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are going to be great. I might have to do the Saturday night show next week as well. So it might be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we will see what we can do for Tuesday. I'm still looking for a night that, that's good for Rob to come back. Uh, Thursdays aren't that good for him right now. But um, there is some flexibility in there. And I'd love to, love to have him by for a visit. So you guys have a great one. Email me at quitefranklypodcast at gmail.com. Get into the Gilded chat. All those links are on quitefrankly.tv on the about section, on the on-demand section. But get to quitefrankly.tv for the rest of the evening because there's throwback Thursday going on in just a couple of moments. And that includes, of course, a culminating feature, Twister. I'll be there with you. No doubt about it. All right. Good night, one and all.
2: I'll catch you on the flip side.
0: Ah, here's some wonderful throwback footage from Coney Island. That's right. When times were nice. Thank you so much to our wonderful audience has been watching live for this live taping and to our super chatters Larkstar, Stostube, KT, Sky, D Jenna from South Carolina God's Ghouls, Ruben O and Revolution to our other friends on QuiteFrankly.tv the gold, the gold Pills to our wonderful patriot Angie for Liberty on Rockfin Tomorrow is another day Thank you so much for tonight
1: sleep with my wife.